Thanks, Lawrence. It's good to be back here, everybody. Thank you for your prayers and support uh, during my time away. I think I haven't been here for a month, so anyway, it's great to be back. Uh, John chapter 15, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. This is our last uh, message on why we should trust in Jesus, and uh, the, the title of the message tonight is um, Jesus Befriends Us. We should, we should trust in Jesus because Jesus wants to be and is calling us to be um, his friend. There, in this past November, there was a study that came out of uh, Michigan State on loneliness, so that it's a condition that research has shown to be as bad for your health as physical inactivity, obesity, air pollution, and get this one, loneliness is as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day and increases the likelihood of an early death by 20%. New York Times published uh, also a report end of last year that loneliness and social isolation costs Medicare annually six. $0.7 billion, and costs employers $154 billion a year due to absentee employees because of their feelings of loneliness and all of the associated emotional uh, distress that that brings. And I think that if we think about the times where we feel lonely, um, we, can, we can pretty much agree, yeah, it, it really brings us down. If we truly feel alone, and it's an enduring loneliness, this book that I've quoted from for a, quite a bit lately, in the last few months, it was just published uh, recently, The Good Life, which is this 80-plus year study on happiness and what makes people happy, and they determined that overwhelmingly, the key to a happy life is, is close, intimate friendships and relationships. They say that there is a tide of loneliness flooding through modern societies and that we have a serious problem. So when Jesus is extending an invitation to all of humanity to be his friend, it's something that, that we should strongly consider, not only for ourselves, but, but for humanity to be friends with Jesus. And so what I want to look at tonight is what does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? How does Jesus understand friendship? Um, what's it mean to him? And what's it mean for us to enter into that friendship? And what does it mean for us to be real friends? And so the, there are th three things that Jesus really highlights in this, in this, um, in this passage on friendship. And so the, let me just, I'll give a little bit of background on the passage. So Jesus has spent three years with a whole following of disciples, but the 12 disciples that he has selected to be apostles or messengers to take the gospel into the nations after he uh, dies and resurrects and ascends back to heaven. And so he's with the 12. These are his last words before he leaves, these are, uh, it's, and essentially it's instruction on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a friend of Jesus Christ. And so it's some of the most important words that he has for his, his people right before his departure. And so the first thing that we see here in, in Jesus' understanding of what it means to be a friend is that it is marked by sacrifice. Friendship 
requires sacrifice. He says, there's no greater love than that is shown when somebody lays his life down for his friends. And so that would be obviously on one, the far end of the continuum, to completely give your life, as Jesus is going to do, as Jesus is going to do. And so we see that the general principle is that friendship requires a life that is dedicated to the service and benefit of others before yourself. That's what it means to be a friend, that you will enter into a relationship where other people's well-being is at least as important, or if not more important, than your own. So that's the first mark that Jesus gives. And obviously, this needs to be reciprocal. If you have a bunch of people that are friends, everybody has to have the mentality of sacrifice, of giving of oneself for the benefit of others. And it's that reciprocity within between friends that creates the, the dynamics of, of love and friendship and commitment. So this takes us then to the second mark of friendship that Jesus highlights. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. You are my friends if you do what I command. So it's obedience to Jesus' commandments. So if you want to be a friend of Jesus, you've got to live a life of sacrifice, of giving your life for the benefit of others, and of obeying him. Now, when Jesus says in the Gospel of John, obey my commandments, so, so, so John doesn't get nearly as technical as a lot of the other New Testament writers. He doesn't get into what the commands are. Here's what he says, here's, what, here's, how, here's how the John reflects what Jesus is saying. Following Jesus' commands is loving one another. To love one another is to follow Jesus' commands. And so in essence, it's not really that different than the first requirement that Jesus had, that of sacrifice and giving of your life. Because love is sacrificing yourself for the good of others. That's what love is. That is the ultimate definition and core idea of what it means to love. Now here's the really interesting thing about this second mark of friendship. Jesus is, he's commanding, you know, all through his life, and we see it in the Old Testament, uh, to, we first are called to love God. Love God and then love your neighbor. But here Jesus says, if you, if you want to be my friend, you keep my commandments, and the commandments are to love one another. And so what Jesus is doing, he said, if you want to be a friend of mine, I want you to love the rest of my friends. It's a command that pushes us not to love Jesus more as an individual. It does, but it is, it is a command that is pushing us to love other people more. And so to be a friend of Jesus is to live your life not just for him. I mean, it is for him, but he's calling us to extend our love to other people. So Jesus is building a friend group. That's what Jesus is doing. John does not use the word church in his gospel. It pops up a few times in his letters, and it's, a, it's in the book of Revelation quite a few times. 
book of Revelation is a book written to seven churches. But in the gospel, he never uses the word church. Jesus never uses the word church. But he uses this term, friend. And he's saying, I want, if, if you want to be my friend, you need to love my other friends. Okay? So obviously, what from if we take in the rest of revealed, the revealed word of God, if we take in the rest of the New Testament, we know that what Jesus is building is his family. He's building his kingdom. He's building his church. Matthew chapter 18, Christ says, I am building my church. John says, Jesus is building his friend group. So the common feature of people that want to be friends with Jesus, the singular unifying piece, okay, it's not personality, it's not Jesus' personality, it's not our personalities, it's not, a, it's not common affinities or common interests, not common bloodlines. To be a friend with Jesus is to be a friend with his friends. That's what it is. It is a commitment to be in Jesus' friend group. It's a commitment to be in Jesus' church. And when you're in that friend group, when you're in that church, you follow his commands, which is the essence of loving one another. Now, the question arises, well, what are Jesus' commands? What does it mean to really love one another? And so he will say in this same talk that, that, that the Holy Spirit is going to come, then the Holy Spirit is going to do two things. The first thing that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to do once he sends him is that he's going to teach them all things. Because he says, listen, I've got, I've got a lot to teach you about what it means to love me. I've got a lot to teach you about what it means to love the other friends. I've got a lot to teach you about what it means to love one another. But you're unable to bear them now, he says. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to guide you in the truth, and he's going to declare to you all things. We oftentimes hear, um, you know, when we're talking to people that don't affirm the Bible or affirm just parts of the Bible. And typically there's, a, there's, a, you know, there's an affirmation around the Gospels because it's, about, it's, it's the story of Jesus. And there's um, less interest and less concern and, and a lot more disagreement with what comes in the epistles because the epistles get much more detailed about our moral lives and the use of our time and use of our money. And so there's this dichotomy that has is, that is popped up. Um, there are the Gospels, and that's about Jesus, and Jesus was cool, and he never said anything about sexuality or gender. And then there are the Epistles, and there's all kinds of problems there because, you know, the Apostle Paul had all kinds of things to say that, that just are not good or right or true. The Gospels, excuse me, were not written by Jesus. Okay, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, it is believed to be one of the early disciples of Jesus. Mark, he hung out with Paul and Peter. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke was an associate of Paul that Paul picked up in Philippi on his travels. And John was one of the 12. John was one of the 12. So two of the Gospels are written by two of the apostles. The other two are not. 
Now, if you look at the epistles, you have Peter and John. Those were disciples, the 12 disciples of Jesus. But the other ones were apostles. The other writers were apostles that we're clear on. So you can't make a distinction between the gospels and the epistles. Jesus didn't write any of them. It was people around Jesus or people that were around the people that were around Jesus that wrote the New Testament. Whether it's the Gospels or whether it's the epistles, it's all written by other people that are testifying about what Jesus has said. And they all say these are the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's faulty reasoning to... to position them against each other. So we have the entire body of literature in the New Testament that explains to us what it means to love one another. Just like we saw in, the, in our study in the Pentateuch when we took the 18 months that we did to go through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it's the same thing. God told Moses to give them the law. First law, love God. Second law, Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the commandments, Jesus said, all the commandments are summed up in those two ideas, those two commands. Love God, love your neighbor. And so John is just repeating that here. So the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to teach them what it means to love one another, to be in this friend group. The second thing that the Holy Spirit is going to do is he's going to bring remembrance about the things that Jesus has declared to them. So there's a whole body of stuff that they can't bear that Jesus hasn't said anything about. And then there's a whole body of things that Jesus has talked about. And the Holy Spirit is going to help them remember that. So they're going to get new stuff, and they're going to get remembrance of the old stuff. But Jesus taught a lot about a lot of things. Greed, money, Helping the poor, sacrifice, hard teachings. He taught about gender. He taught about sexuality. There's male. There's female. There's husband. There's wife. Jesus taught about these things. He affirmed the biblical ethic that has been present since God began to reveal his purposes for humanity in the Pentateuch. So everybody is on the same page in the New Testament. Everybody's on the same page. Here's, what, here's who Jesus was, and here's what Jesus taught on how we are to love one another, to be a friend of Jesus, and to be a part of his friend group. The last thing that Jesus said is that, so the first one is uh, to be a friend is to be sacrificial. The second one is to obey Jesus's commands. And the third one, again, they're, they're kind of all blending together. The third thing he says um, is that we are called to be transparent and one-minded. He says, I have come, and I'm no longer talking to you as a master does a servant or a slave. I am talking to you as a friend. And he explains what he means by that. In that he, he, he says, I have disclosed everything to you. Everything that the Father has shared with me, I have shared with you. Jesus opens up his life. He opens up his agenda. Here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing. I'm inviting you along with me. He's not keeping any secrets. 
So to be a friend of Jesus is, is, to, is to recognize that he's calling you to a, a life. He's calling you to his life. He's calling you to his agenda. And this vulnerability, this transparency, it, it keeps us vulnerable. It keeps us merciful. If, if we are open and transparent with our lives, there's a, there's a humility there that is, that is willing to be open with, with not only Jesus, but Jesus' friends as well. And so this is this, this call to unity that we see throughout the rest of the epistles. He's calling us to participate in his purposes. And he goes on to explain, the only thing that I do is what the Father has revealed to me. I am doing the will of the Father. I am doing the will of the Father. I want you to come along with me and do the will of the Father. So he's, he's not calling his friends just to come and, and hang out and, and enjoy each other. That's part of it, because we're called to love one another. He's calling a group of friends to participate in the mission of God, in the purposes of God, to build a new kingdom, to build a new family, to build a new friend group. And he concludes his statement by saying this. He says, if you become my friend and you keep my commandments and you love my other friends, he says, you're going to bear fruit. It's the first thing he says. You're going to bear fruit, which means that you're going to grow your friend group. Fruit in the gospel of John is growth that it that is spiritual growth spiritual growth in you as an individual spiritual growth in the life that you give to other people by abiding in Christ by keeping his commands and another thing that comes out very strongly here in this passage is that you part of this abiding in Christ is praying praying and so as we, as we walk with Jesus Christ, as we are his friend, as we get to know his other friends, as we love his other friends, which are our friends too, we begin to see places and people where we can be praying for each other and for the purposes in the kingdom of God to expand on this earth because that's what Jesus is doing. He says, I, the kingdom of God is here. And we know that, that ultimately in the end, the kingdom of God is going to be eternal. It's coming to this earth. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The kingdom of God is coming. So the, the kingdom of God is expanding now. And fruit bearers are contributors to the kingdom of God. Fruit bearers are people that grow their friends. They strengthen their friends. And they grow the friends that they have in terms of numbers. So... Friends with Jesus strengthen their own friends and add friends to themselves. And then he says what comes then is the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy. This is what, this is what God has been after for humanity since he created humanity and put them on the earth. That they would be blessed, that they, which is the word happy, and that they would prosper from Genesis to Revelation, blessed, happy, prosperity. And this idea of fullness of joy, it's not, a, it's not a spontaneous, random happiness that ebbs and flows 
as circumstances. It is a, it is a deep-seated peace and contentment and joy that is present regardless of the circumstances, even when they're the most difficult. There's this deep-seated strength and happiness and contentment and peace. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says joy. And so what he's doing is, is he's building an, an increasingly growing group of friends that are loving one another and loving the world, and, and that, that everybody is increasingly joyful and happy and strong as we are friends with each other and friends with Jesus. And so it's sacrifice, it's love, it's transparency and vulnerability. That's what marks a friend, a true friend. And see, Jesus, Jesus is trying to restore us into the people that he intended. And, and then even more so. We're not just going back to man and woman in the garden. We're going back to um, the righteousness of Christ in us. We're going, we're, we're going to a place where the spirit of Jesus Christ indwells us. We're going to a place where, where we are increasingly like Jesus Christ. And so when, when we say that this is, these are friends of Jesus and that Jesus is calling us to be his friend, what we're really saying is this is what it means to be a real human friend. You live sacrificially, you follow Jesus' commands so that you are effectively loving one another and doing what's better for others and not just for yourself. So there's this commitment of sacrifice, there's commitment to service and to putting others before you, and then there's an openness and transparency to your life, a vulnerability to your life that lets people in. That's what a, that's what a true friend is. And if everybody's operating that way, then the friendships grow and the joy grows and more friends are attracted because as we've seen and as we all know in the world, our, our world is, is, is desperately in need of friends, desperately in need of friends. And so there are three, uh, three applications here that I, that I want us to consider. First, if you are experiencing profound loneliness, if you're, if you're one of these persons that are described that I described at the beginning of the sermon, consider Jesus in the church. And I, I recognize that church may be the last place you think of developing friendships. But I would say give Jesus in the church a chance. You know, there's a, there's a story, uh, you know, a few years ago we did a sermon, a series on um, the gospel comes with a house key. And the author of that book, Rosaria Butterfield, tells the story, and it, it's, it, that story really impressed upon me. She was a New York Times journalist. She was a lesbian woman. And she wrote an article, an op-ed piece in the New York Times, critical of, of Christians, and this pastor, I can't remember where they were from, somewhere on the East Coast, this pastor wrote her a letter and said, you know what, come and check out what it really means to know Jesus and to know his people. Come into our friend group and, and see what we're really like. Because I don't agree with what you wrote. And if you really got to know people that really knew Jesus and really loved each other and really loved the world, you wouldn't write what you did. 
So she took him up on the challenge and spent two years hanging out at this church. She ended up marrying the pastor, believing in Jesus Christ, and becoming a friend, the pastor's son. I think he was the pastor. All right. Did she, but the guy didn't, but didn't her husband eventually become the pastor? But, but hung out with their house church. Yeah. Okay, so evidently, I, don't, I need to reread the story because all the details aren't fresh. The point of the fact is, she hung out with the church, she married a man, she got to know Jesus Christ, and is a follower of Jesus Christ, and now her friends with Jesus are growing, and she's got more and more fruit because of her testimony around what the gospel, what Jesus and what Jesus' friends have done for her. The second thing, if you are in the church, if you are in the church and still experiencing loneliness, let me challenge you with this. Go to those three qualities, sacrifice, keeping Jesus' commands, and living a life of vulnerability and transparency and openness. Go to those three things and ask yourself and evaluate yourself. Are you doing those three things? If you want to experience friendship in the church, it's not going to happen unless you take Jesus' offer and follow his instructions on what it means to be a friend of him. And if you don't do that, you'll never experience friendship in the church. Friendship in the church is not hanging out with people. Friendship in the church is following Jesus Christ. And being his friend, and being his friend, you become friends with others because you are living sacrificially. You are living with a commitment to Jesus' teachings. You're living with a commitment to be vulnerable and open with others. Third, if you're enjoying Jesus' friendship and those of his friend group, I would encourage you, continue to expand your sphere of friends into the world. See, because Jesus doesn't just tell us to love his friends. He also says to love your neighbor. And he also says to love your enemy. And so we, we grow in what it means to be a good friend by befriending Jesus and by befriending his people. But we're called to take that same type of friendship into the world around us and show them a different type of friendship and show what it really means to be a human friend a human friend, and we'll see that what happens in that friendship is changed hearts and changed minds about Jesus and about his people. That's the goal anyway, and that has the power to break down barriers. I have one final comment in closing here. So as I was doing research on this, Arthur Brooks, a former uh, I think director of the American Enterprise Institute for a season, then retired and became a, a columnist for the Atlantic. A solid conservative guy, uh, committed Christian, a Catholic Christian. And he has a series on happiness, that, that an ongoing column in the Atlantic Monthly. And he had this great article about a month ago about the, uh, the habits that the pandemic taught us. 
And he says that the, that the pandemic taught us a habitual isolation. So over the two years, we got used to being isolated, either by ourselves or maybe just with our immediate family, but we got used to it. And we got really used to it. We got comfortable with it. And we kind of ended up at a place where we kind of like to stay home. We got used to working from home. We got used to doing church at home, you know. It was a nice break from hectic life, but it also withdrew us from people for too long. And those things became habits, hard habits to break. And so I want to leave us all with this. We need to get out of, to whatever extent that we're still in it, a pandemic-induced mindset and habit, and commit to a life of sacrifice and love and in-person contact that is required to build real friendships. Let me say a short prayer here before our discussion. God, uh, we're really thankful that Jesus, the creator of all things, came to this world as a human being, gave his life for us, and called us and allowed us to be his friend. Not a servant to a master, but his friend. And so, God, we, we, we pray that you would help us to follow that call and that opportunity with zeal. And in that, strengthen our friendship ties with each other as uh, Jesus' friend group and help us to grow it, Lord God, by extending that same friendship into the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.